0: Welcome back to Square Horror. I am your Duke of Spook, Danny. I am your International Master of, of Uh It's just so nice to meet you, Herr Hollander. I'm a Dutch <laughs> businessman. Oh, not a Dutch businessman. How are your hands? Are they steady? Oof, no, they are not steady. I wanted to be a, a surgeon when I was a boy, but I said no. So I said, oof, I must make enough money that I can dissect American tourists with oh, any time. I... <laughs> it's falling apart. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I tried my best. This is why I'm not the actor. <laughs> So what are we talking about today, Matt? Uh, We're going to talk about Eli Roth's 2005, um, I don't know if I'd say a masterpiece, or a mistress piece, or just uh, certainly a lot of a gore movie, Uh, but it's it's 2005's Hostel. Yes,
1: it is very much a uh, splatter flick, as they were called back in the day before the media decided to start calling the genre torture porn. Yeah. Um,
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, that little myth that we spent, uh, about a good nine hours dispelling last, uh, two summers (laughs) ago, the torture porn thing, you can thank Mm -hmm. Hostel for that, by the way.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Both Um. Saw and Hostel were distributed by Lionsgate, so it's Mm -hmm. not a huge throw to blame Lionsgate for perpetuating, uh gore to this extent uh in modern mm-hmm. horror but um it's a little unfair to put the blame solely on Hostel or even solely on Lionsgate, um because danny you and i watched this movie independently for our first times right we didn't watch them together correct okay i know when i first watched it and i'm sure a lot of people uh would agree with me um i believe you do as well with this but um Hostel's kind of boring. It
1: is. It moves faster the more you watch it. But the yes.
0: first time it it's a slow start. Yeah, this was I think my third or fourth time watching it. I liked it considerably more than the past times I had watched it. Uh but mm-hmm. yeah, that first time I watched it I was expecting a lot more uh gore, torture, and whatnot. And while I certainly did yeah. get it, it was uh not for you don't you don't get it for a while and it's not even that much of a permeating factor in the movie
1: yeah it's it's very intense when it's there but it isn't around for long and it doesn't overstay its welcome yes i, I would say but there is still a scene in this movie i cannot watch <laughs> to this day
0: yeah i will say like uh-huh. as much as that did seem like a like a pull for like wait 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 don't shut the podcast off um we're not going to lie to you. We're not going to bullshit. This movie is extremely graphic and very uncomfortable to watch at some points. Oh, yeah. It's it's hard sometimes. It It's difficult, but uh, I, I do think that, um, like all of our episodes, the purpose of this episode will be, here's why you should watch Hostile, apropos of the gratuitous gore that takes up maybe 5% of the movie. Yeah. So Hostel, Um, 2005's Hostel uh, centers mm -hmm. around three backpackers that head to a Slovak city in Eastern Europe that promises to meet their hedonistic expectations with absolutely no idea of the hell that awaits them. Or alternatively, uh, all they wanted was a European vacation full of bone zoning, but all they found was nothing but trouble. And not the Canadian nothing but trouble.
1: This is the Eastern European, nothing but trouble.
0: Yeah, because trouble in Europe, just like most uh, things in Europe versus America, like Christmas or Halloween or New Year's, um, instead of it being like kind of a more, not even a watered down, but just, it's just like nightmare fuel level up, turn up to like dial 11 style trouble, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's not just like, a, you know, like we in America, we've got the purge we have very mm-hmm. rudimentary ways of killing people. And they even kind of talk about that in this movie, which we'll get to later with the uh, guns are too American. Um,
1: yeah. Because in Europe,
0: they just really, they're very traditional in ways that mm-hmm. would surprise Americans. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, I feel like I want to start this out with, I think what was my most interesting tidbit of information about this movie is that um, initially, this was supposed to be a documentary I'm so that glad Eli Roth that. <laughs> wanted to do. Because, yeah, he wanted to do a documentary on the subject of like murder vacations in other countries, but as he started doing research, he was like, hmm, if I keep this up, people are going to kill me, and I'm not going to make this movie. And
0: so he was like, I'm going to make up a story instead. I love also that he was like, Weird. Uh, it's it's hard for me to find like anyone who wants to like talk about who you know it, like it's it's hard to like find you know anyone that actually does it or that's willing to talk about it. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, dude, they like what did you expect? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's we could talk about Eli Roth for a for a bit. Uh, the director of this yes. movie. Um. Eli Roth is a pretty prolific cult uh, horror director. Um, his first movie is uh, '03's *Cabin Fever*, which we definitely will be covering one day. <laughs> yes, uh, this *Hostel* was his second movie, which I think is nuts. That his first two movies like completely knocked it out of the park when it came to post-2000 uh, cult horror. Um, he mm-hmm. also went on to direct a segment in the Grindhouse double feature, the very famous Quentin Tarantino-Robert Rodriguez double feature. He also directed mm-hmm. Knock Knock with Keanu Reeves, which I know got a resurgence a couple years ago when they put it on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I never got around to watching it, but I do I do remember seeing it uh, on the homepage a bunch. Mm-hmm. He also made uh, The Green Inferno, which is a... Uh, a kind of an homage to uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, he's also set to direct the oh. upcoming Borderlands movie, which I think is coming out next year. Oh, I forgot he was doing that one. I didn't even know he was doing that. I just found that on his IMDb a bit ago. I I think I
1: saw that when it was first announced, like, fuck, probably two or three years ago. Yeah. But I didn't. I completely forgot. I also forgot that movie was being made, so that <laughs> might
0: also be part of it. That's true. I think it was like they announced it like a week before COVID, and then they're like, "Okay, cool. Let's just kind of cool it for a bit. And we'll make it when we make it." Mm-hmm. He also recently also- produced a uh, a documentary called Finn, which is about the illegal hunting and murder of uh, great white sharks and other sharks. And uh, I know that he's uh, pretty passionate about that pet project. He's been doing a lot of outreach mm-hmm. work with um, humane societies and uh, wildlife protection agencies. So he, um, as, as goofy and weird and dark as he is, he does really care about animals, at least, if not people. He's also a huge
1: class act because specifically around this movie, he, may, he took as much precautions as he could in order to not offend other countries in his portrayal <laughs> of them. You're right, yeah, he did. So Going so far as to... He reached out personally to the president of Iceland for an official pardon for making, and I quote here, Icelanders look like drunken sex maniacs with his character <laughs> of Ali. Um, the president laughed and gave him the pardon, saying it was a new side of Icelanders that's not normally shown in movies. And then Eli Roth also went on to issue a formal apology to the Icelandic Minister of Culture for all of the damage that Hostel may cause to Iceland's reputation.
0: I just, one of the reasons I love Europe so much is they just are like, they know how to take a joke a little bit easier. And uh, Mm -hmm. it seemed like when I was reading about that, like the president and the foreign minister were both kind of like, Okay, like they were like laughing at it they're like, okay buddy, like it's fine like it's not mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, the people on the other end of
1: <laughs> the spectrum we have uh, <laughs> Thomas Galbavi Galbavi. I don't know how to pronounce Slov- uh, Slovakian names yeah. but he was a member of the Slovak um, Parliament and he said I am offended by this film and I think all Slovaks should be too. So he didn't
0: understand. The vibe. He did have a good point, I do think, because for the people that saw it and the people that do watch it, this movie is kind of like... It does what Texas Chainsaw Massacre did for Texas and, like, the backwoods. Hostel does that for mm-hmm. Europe. It's It, it kind of capitalizes on that, uh, you know, Eastern Europe specifically is a... Uh, Post-Soviet collapse is a very dark... A uh, barren, desolate landscape uh, full of mm-hmm. criminals and and weird rich people that are, like, psychosexual in all of their, like, proclivities and all that stuff. And while there probably is a world that exists that is that, that includes that, it isn't just mm-hmm. limited to uh, the Slovenian area and the Eastern Bloc. But uh, I Mm -hmm. also think that for as much quote-unquote damage as hostile does for Eastern Europe, it also kind of shows how much fun it is, too. Like, there's another I have later on of just, like, it's actually kind of like that little quaint village they wind up in. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cute, too.
1: Well, yeah, something Eli Roth um, argued with this um, member of parliament about was... I'm actually so glad you brought up Texas Chainsaw Massacre because he brings up uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and is like, despite the fact that everybody and their mom has seen these movies, people still go to Texas, right? It's not like we're like making it so people don't want to go to your country. He, in fact, went as far as to say, most Americans don't know that your country exists. I'm just showing people that Americans are stupid. <laughs>
0: exactly. He's like, jokes on you, most Americans can't even point out where Prague is on a map. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you're right, though. Like, he's absolutely got a good point where it's like, Jaws invented the blockbuster, but it didn't stop mm-hmm. people from swimming at beaches forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly but man i i think it's cool just getting into eli rothmore with just how much he really cares clearly it shows how much he cares about his movies and how much he cares about the production of them he's kind of reminds me of like a rob zombie uh where he's involved in a lot of the small little details and nuances of his movies um and Mm -hmm. a rob zombie surrogate at least to me is a quentin tarantino who of course Really, really, really liked the idea of Hostel and was set as a producer, um, which mm-hmm. I think is how him and Eli Roth became friends, because then Tarantino... I was, think so, too. He must have. And, I mean, definitely around that point, like, 03, when Cabin Fever came out, that's when House of a Thousand Corpses came out, and Tarantino mm-hmm. was, like, still riding the high from being, like, the new badass writer from writing Pulp Fiction, like, a decade earlier, but... hmm I think that's how Tarantino and Eli Roth became friends, because then Tarantino went to put Eli Roth in his, uh, my, one of my favorite Tarantino movies, Inglorious Bastards. So if anyone ever watches those movies, Eli Roth is playing the bear Jew. That's right. So, I mean, I don't know. Eli Roth seems like a really funny guy. He seems like an interesting, entertaining guy. Yeah, they seem like they'd be... He'd be a great person to work with. Especially because Eli Roth, a lot like Tarantino, he'll put cameos of himself in a lot of his movies, um, extending from Cabin Fever, where he's straight up a character for a long time, to something like this, mm-hmm. where he's in the first scene uh, smoking a bong in a Red Sox jersey uh, with a dude who's shirtless, who chokes on it. Yep. <laughs> And he's right in the beginning. And I also didn't realize until after the fact, but Tarantino is also cameoed in this movie. That scene where they're locked outside of the hostel and they're just making a bunch of noise and people are like, shut the fuck up, it's it's night. He's a uh, shirtless Mm -hmm. German man who's screaming from a window in the (laughs) middle of the night. Well,
1: Eli Roth actually... In this movie in particular, tried to put every single crew member in the film in yeah. one way or another. That's really so cool. So like, he'd have people show up on posters in the backgrounds. He'd have, use them for extras a lot of the time. Um, and I just think that's just so fun. Yeah, I think-, I think that's a cute little way of keeping everybody involved. Oh,
0: for sure. I think the uh, the production assistant ended up being the uh, the desk clerk at the hostel because the guy that was going to do it dropped out. So they filmed all of his scenes after the fact. And it's cool because not only did he integrate the 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 production staff, he integrated Prague because the movie was shot in Prague, Mm -hmm. uh, which is in Czechoslovakia. No, it's in Austria right? Yes. It's in Austria. I think so. I I don't know geography. I'm 99% sure it's in Austria. And if not, it's in Czechoslovakia. It's in one of those two countries. I'm so sorry. I don't know. But, (laughs) what I do know, (laughs) um, they really made Prague a character. This movie is not Mm -hmm. just one of those movies that, you know, it's supposed to be set in another country and it kind of sort of feels different. This movie is very much it, it, it is deeply invested in making this movie a European, like, vacation movie. Which is why we, we chose yeah. it, is because it was these these guys are post-college, pre-work life. Uh, this is kind mm-hmm. of them sowing their wild oats, so to speak. Traveling to Europe, doing the classic backpack through Europe. Um, they end up in, you know, they're, they're basically just going around trying to fuck as many women as possible. Which I could see yep. as being admirable, but like, you know, if I'm going to back back across Europe, I'm going to go see a bunch of boring historical things. So, yeah. you know, I, at least I won't be abducted by the elite hunting club, I guess. Yeah, we'll be safe. Yeah, will be good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the slaughterhouse specifically, where most of the latter half, of the, the, the last half of the movie is set, was filmed mm-hmm. inside of an abandoned mental asylum inside Prague uh, that had been abandoned for about 50 years um, and the building where they specifically were doing all of their stuff was uh, where the worst patients were housed, of course. Uh, Naturally, Of course. Um, but because it was desolate, scary, and uncomfortable, uh, Eli Roth made sure that they had a string quartet playing classical music so that it felt cozier when they were shooting gratuitous murder. <laughs> I'm
1: sure... It probably did feel cozier for everybody, but can you imagine how creepy it must also be to that... just walk past an abandoned building and just hear a string quartet and screaming?
0: I was going to say, that would make it even <laughs> more scary to me. <laughs> like, that would freak me out, I think. Especially because a lot of these actors, I don't know about a lot of these actors, but at least the, uh, the Dutch man, businessman, and the, the Bubblegum bubble gang uh, did not speak English. So, Well, oh, yeah, the Bubblegum gang was uh, hired from real yes! local street kids. Eli Roth found street kids and probably paid them with Bubblegum to just probably. barely... <laughs> like, they're just playing themselves. Like they, It's kind mm-hmm. of like if you made a movie with, like, gangsters in it and just went up to gangsters <laughs> on the street and were like, Hey, so we're going to film here. Would you mind just being yourself for, like, $200? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's kind of cool, and again, keeps that authenticity a lot. For like, As much as the movie may have done damage to pe- Americans, at least, perspectives of other countries, he did mm-hmm. it in the most authentic, somewhat respectful way he could have done it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and
1: like you mentioned, the Dutch businessman did not speak a word of English. He learned all of his lines phonetically. Yeah, just like Andre um,
0: the Giant in Princess Bride.
1: Also, fun fact that I learned on one of my many drives this weekend: just like Rob Lowe learned his um, Cantonese for his appearance in Wayne in Wayne's World, he also learned that uh, phonetically. So every once in a while, when people will show up around him and say something in Cantonese, he'll be like, "Hey, I don't know how I to don't say anything." I don't speak Chinese. I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Speaking of that production, (laughs) uh, the production crew, um, I also just want to highlight two more people. We got Greg Nicotero, who did the makeup effects for this movie. Greg Nicotero, we've talked about several times on the podcast, who's one of the legends of horror makeup. uh, Specifically, The Walking Dead. He created the zombies in The Walking Dead. Uh, Also, Scott Spiegel was attached. uh, I believe he was a producer, um, but he has worked with Sam Raimi, like, forever he goes way back to like the evil dead days um and i Mm -hmm. just it was cool to see that like uh grindhouse with tarantino horror with eli roth and greg nicotero and the camp heart of horror with with scott spiegel from evil dead really Mm -hmm. does make an interesting soup of a movie it really does. <laughs> like, Eli Roth already makes some interesting movies <laughs> already. Uh, but this one is very special just because of uh, the team and the, the vibe and the story and the setting. And all of it really does... There's a reason this is a cult favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, just really Yeah, quick, absolutely. Before we get into the cast, I do want to say... This did come out in '05, so... um It dethroned Disney's Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from the number one spot at the box office and in DVD (laughs) sales. Um, And I Mm -hmm. don't think that's necessarily because Hostel was like a huge blockbuster. It very well may have. Uh, It earned $20 million in its opening weekend. But um, I -hmm. think it dethroned Narnia because uh, obviously because, I don't know, that movie to me at least holds up with its effects. Uh, because the yeah. production budget cost 50 times that of Hostel. <laughs> oh, my God. So Hostel showed up and was like, we basically just made a movie where we just shot Europe and had Greg Nicotero just, you like, MacGyver makeup effects. And then we were mm-hmm. like, here's our movie. And it made $20 million opening weekend. And Narnia's like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, and then Lionsgate naturally is like, hey, Eli, you want to do a sequel? And he said... Yes.
0: Oh, we'll talk about Hostel 2 uh, someday, uh, later on. I know One day when I've seen it. Yeah. Well, I know you're you're watching through Hostel 2 and Hostel 3, um, and I'm going to follow you along with that, because I definitely need yeah. to give Hostel 2 a rewatch, um, and I definitely want to hear your thoughts about Hostel 3. Um, but mm-hmm. let's get into some of these characters. So who are our three uh, three kings over here?
1: So we start... With, um, I think the first one's name is Paxton? Yeah, Paxton. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Paxton is played by uh, Jay Hernandez, um, who I think the only other thing I really recognize him from is he was in Suicide Squad.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, the first Suicide Squad, might I say. Uh, he was Diablo, the, like, fire guy. Which also... I, if I didn't recognize his name, I would not have recognized that he was the same guy. No, no.
0: Well, I remember him
1: in the full look of Diablo, just with all the tattoos and everything, looks very different.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I remember when Suicide Squad came out that they're like, holy shit, Jay Hernandez is this guy. And his big thing, I think his big claim to fame is that he's one of the main characters on Friday Night Lights. Which I've never seen, uh, but I do know like a lot of it. people know about it. Um, mm-hmm. More recently, he's also one of the he's also the lead in uh, the new revival of Magnum PI. Uh, he also did an okay. episode of BoJack Horseman where he played himself. Interesting.
1: Uh, then we also have Josh, played by uh, Derek Richardson, <laughs> um, who.
0: Josh fucking I think sucks.
1: Was I'm sorry. Josh, yeah, Josh, Josh is great. <laughs> Josh is just kind of there. Um, Josh is the first one of our... Tr- or no, he's the second one of our trio to disappear, I guess. Josh... He's the yeah. first kill we actually get to see... If, um,
0: if, if you, if any of our listeners are fans of Ice Nine Kills' new album, uh, they did do a song on uh, Worst Vacation, which is based on Hostel, which we'll, we'll go out for on this episode. But um, mm-hmm. Josh is the guy from the bit before the breakdown, <laughs> so you know it yeah. doesn't end well for him.
1: Um, I don't recognize anything else that um, Derek Richardson has done. Uh, I haven't seen anything else he's done. But it does look like he was in the prequel movie to Dumb and Dumber <laughs> playing uh, Harry <laughs> in Dumb and Dumberer when Harry met Lloyd, which I didn't know was a
0: thing. I, I think I do remember <laughs> hearing that name, but like, I think it's um, like, not like Ghostbusters 2, but like, it's one of those movies that's like, there's the comedy and then there's like the sequel that no one speaks of. That's, mm-hmm. like, the sequel no one speaks of. Okay. <laughs> I That makes sense. He's great in this. I mean, all of the guys are very, very, like... All, Eli Roth's characters in general, as weird as they are, and as, like, funhouse mirror as they may seem, they are all strangely mm-hmm. relatable. And as annoying as Josh is, uh, he also is strangely relatable. Especially with the yeah. way that he's, like... Not picking up on the subtleties that women want to fuck him. Yeah, he's not the brightest. No, 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 no. He's, I think, oh the God. dimmest of all of them. <laughs> and that's saying something, oh, yeah, because he's... Ollie is a roving sex maniac.
1: <laughs> Who apparently has a kid, they okay. mentioned very briefly. Ollie
0: is, is an he has a kid and an ex-wife. <laughs> he's an enigma. <laughs> so, but yeah, so
1: speaking of Ollie... <laughs> yeah.
0: He's played by. I'm gonna butcher this Icelandic name, uh, IThor uh, Johnson, which is not spelled Johnson. It's spelled. Uh, it's spelled Good Johnson. Good
1: Johnson.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Um He's got the character and the actor both are enigmas. So yes, uh, Ithor met Eli Roth when uh, Eli Roth was doing a press event for Cabin Fever in Iceland. Which must Mm -hmm. have been weird, because Cabin Fever is a weird movie, and Iceland is not America. Which was, I think, the target audience. (laughs) Um, And I'm taking this direct quote. Even though he was a local entrepreneur and former athlete, with no acting experience, Roth was so smitten by his charm and charisma that he promised he'd cast him in a film someday. And then apparently... And then he did. He and, and I thought was, like, legitimately surprised that Eli Roth kept his word. And aside from, like, a couple of TV appearances and, like, maybe a commercial or two, this is his only acting job. He's an associate producer on Hostel 2, but I don't know how much of, like, that is a formality. Um, but mm-hmm. honestly, this is just, like, some cool local yokel that Eli Roth met at a bar, probably, and was like, I'm going to put this guy in a movie as himself, probably. That's just fucking rad. Like, why doesn't that happen to us? What the fuck? <laughs> we just got to go to more press events, I guess. Let's go to the the next thing. I don't know when uh, Mike Flanagan's Midnight Game, Midnight Society, whatever the fuck it's called, is coming out. But like, let's just go to press events. And hopefully we just leave a good impression on the man. Hell yeah. Um,
1: impress him with our ingenuity and spunk
0: yeah I was just gonna say I was gonna try to see how much I could say how great his stuff was without crying and hopefully that left a good impression but I think your <laughs> way is better your way is a lot lot better <laughs> so um like with our last couple of movies you're probably thinking why the hell would you pick this movie for growing up <laughs> And you know what? I asked myself that same question for about the first 20 minutes uh, of the movie until I realized that um, this movie, you know, it, it, it's about that. Just that, you know, the sowing of the wild oats. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it's about the, the life experiences you want to get before starting work. You know, Pax has that line say, where he talks to, uh, where he's talking and he's like, you know, do you, are you going to be remembering, you know, your shitty ex-girlfriend when I'm studying for the bar or you're starting at a firm or are you going to remember, you know, Europe? Are you going to remember this? That that sort of thing. Well, yeah, they go off almost looking for that perfect
1: moment of in-between education and work. Right. That That little sliver of life that happens where you don't know where you're going next but you don't quite want to know yet. And you're right. just enjoying life for the moment that it is. And sometimes that leads you into bad life experiences, like dying.
0: <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> maybe wanting to just go through Europe and just fuck as many women as you possibly can get your hands on. Um, or perpetually trying to, like, thrill-seek or, you know, trying to get a rush. You know, Not even just in this context, but in any context, you know. Doing mm-hmm. you know, acting purely on hedonism or trying like there's a difference between living in the moment and uh this. And um yes. living in the moment gets you to like wrong turn twenty twenty one and hedonism gets mm-hmm. you to hostel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's that's actually a great analogy there, Thank Matt. You. I, I really I, like that.
0: <laughs> I really... as soon as I said it I'm like, I do not believe in this. But <laughs> Thank you. Do <laughs> um, you want to get into this movie?
1: So yeah, let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Okay, uh, is that a Vienna
0: s- joke? Because I'm going to give you... You need to be recognized and applauded for that. Thank you. Thank Everyone you. take a, a moment, please. One. Everyone take a moment. Pause the podcast. <laughs> give Danny a round of applause, please. <laughs> And while you're giving, wait, and while you're still clapping, continue that round of applause for Jennifer Tilly, who just got nominated for a Saturn Award for uh, Chucky the TV series. Yes, for I the Chucky say, series. I'm so proud of her. I love Jennifer Tilly, and I loved her in the Chucky series. So I also think I saw something. Tilly that, also,
1: I think I saw that she was the first person to be nominated for the same role. I think it's 20, 20 some years apart because it was with Bride of Chucky in 98 and then the Chucky series in 2021.
0: That's awesome.
1: So, yeah, huge shout out to Jennifer Tilly. Yeah. Nothing to do with Hostel, but she no, still deserves yeah. the shout I, out.
0: I, honestly, I, just a couple days ago, I saw the news and it became like I went back, redid most of the outline, and then put congratulations to Jennifer Tilly at the top just so I remembered to say <laughs> something about it. Um,
1: But yes, back to Hostel. We start with nice, creepy opening credits while someone is just whistling and uh, cleaning up a um, dark room that's very bloody. And it's just kind of giving you a little, like, don't you want to know what happened here? And then you don't get to know until much, much later. Honestly, like...
0: I really, really like it, but the ominous nature of these opening credits is a little hard to, like, describe. It's just the Mm -hmm. vibe of what you're seeing versus the whistling that you're hearing. It's like the room was not, like, it's not a slaughterhouse for animals. Like, there was a Mm -hmm. chair there, there are tools there, there is blood splatter in areas that it shouldn't be clearly this is someone cleaning up a violent death and the yeah. whistling makes me think that they don't much care that they're doing it and like that it's almost a... like
1: it's too commonplace for exactly
0: them. yeah like it, it's just that especially if you don't know what this movie is going in which i feel like a lot of people didn't um mm-hmm. it, it sets a tone that is very hard to kind of put into words and then is almost immediately forgotten for a good, like, half hour. Mm-hmm. N- yeah. Not in a bad way either, but, like, in a way that's, like, this is some weird shit. Forget about that for a while. Be Become these characters, you know, that are all about young guys being young guys uh, growing up. Guys and, being dudes. Yeah, guys being and dudes.
1: not... <laughs> Guides being dudes and being stupid.
0: Yeah, and in typical, at least in my experience, in typical Eli Roth fashion, um, these the movies don't like age well when it comes to like how people talk and treat other other people.
1: Oh no, yeah, some of this dialogue is not no, good. Yeah.
0: No, like Cabin Fever is distinctively not PC anymore. <laughs> not that like that's an enormously important oh, thing, but like man. it's something that you just notice. Like, as soon as something is 20 years old, you're like, oh, God. Like, ugh. Uh, hostile is very much that because, again, it cannot be understated that these three gentlemen are purely 1000% motivated solely on the auspice of getting laid in Europe. That is all <laughs> they want to do. Um, and uh, Ollie kicks ass at it. Um, Pax is okay at it. And uh, Homeboy is not good at it. <laughs> Josh is the worst at it, man. Again, Josh is just a limp noodle, man. I do. <laughs> like, it sucks yeah. that, like, I have to feel bad for him. Yeah. Um, but I also um, think that it says something about how, like, maybe getting over your boyish impulses is a good thing, because then you're, mm-hmm. you aren't as, like, primed to be caught hook, line, and sinker by fill-in-the-blank. Um, it's kind of yeah, cool. It makes
1: it h- almost harder for you to be ta- not taken advantage of because that oversimplifies it. But right.
0: but unlike Cabin Fever, I think it's cool. Like it still kind of makes sense that these characters act this way because it's almost mm-hmm. in retrospect. I mean, obviously, it wasn't maybe it wasn't intentional, but in retrospect, it's like using toxic masculinity as bait, like having which is brilliant. You know what I mean? Like it's just so perfect for. Kill like if you want to kill young men, that's the way you do it because young mm-hmm. men just want to come, and they don't care where it comes from or what they have to do, because like
1: well, and a lot of young men will do a lot to prove that their masculinity isn't fragile, sure. which just kind of further proves that it is.
0: Yeah, I, I mean that's a little bit more salient of a of a point of a statement on it, but uh, so yeah, absolutely.
1: But yeah, so yeah, uh, these boys are just kind of going about it. They're,
0: they hop on a train, a train to their next town. Yeah, so they were moving from, I believe they were just actually in Prague in, in the movie. And then they, okay. they are told by a, oh, if I'm even be frank, a weird guy that they just, yes, who, lets who them just in the,
1: hops in their cart.
0: Yeah, like, well, no, no, no. I mean, just how, why they even get to that point? Before they get even on the train, like when they get locked out of the oh, hostel yeah. for being too drunk in the middle of the night and a weird cryptic man lets them into his room and while he packs a blunt and tells them where they need to go next, there's just his roommate is having coked out Molly sex with a woman and he's telling them that oh, if, they, yeah. if they really want to fuck, the place they need to go to is, like, Slovenia. Like, the, he gives them, a, like, a location of some city, out, out, out of a hostel outside of, like, Slovakia. And is like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, but, you know, I'm not going to do an accent because I clearly can't. But he's like, yeah, the girl's there. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> in my mind, I can hear it perfectly. I just can't do it. <laughs> Um, but he's like, yeah, these girls, you know, they love Americans. Like, they'll practically beg you to fuck them the second you open their mouth. And I'm like, okay, guy, this is a little too Gucci to be true. I don't know if I believe you. (laughs) But they don't care. And they forego their plans to go to safe, sexy Barcelona and instead decide (sighs) to get on a train to Eastern Europe. And yes, Mm -hmm. that is when they meet a certain gentleman.
1: (laughs) A certain gentleman who is in the credits known as the Dutch businessman. We never learn a real name.
0: How the hell are you going to know he's from the Netherlands? Like I thought he was just German. <laughs>
1: that's that's the little bit of information they give you is, is that he's Dutch. That's yeah. the information you get.
0: But like I from the like credits. Pax even said like when he shows up at the bar like in the town that they're in later on, Pax is like, "Oh, it's that mm-hmm. Dutch guy." And I'm like, "How the fuck like, maybe it's just because Americans you know? don't understand, like, what people sound like <laughs> outside of America. But, like, Pax is like, oh, it's that Dutch businessman. I'm like, dude, how the fuck? <laughs> like, I know there's... Um, how are you not just calling him German? Right, like, in my limited experience of the French language, I do know that there's, like, slightly different types of French for, like, oh, well, you know, if you're Haitian, or if you're from Paris, or if you may be from, from, uh, like, French, Can- Can- French Canada, it, like, it's not completely different but like it's different enough that mm-hmm. you can tell um so i feel like they'd be able to be like oh well he's french canadian or he's from paris or he's you know whatever but i yeah. feel like n- the netherlands i at least don't know you took dialects i feel like it's more of a nebulous oh, no. <laughs> accent of what it's like i don't know identifying it by you i think
1: would... you overestimate what i learned in my dialects class
0: <laughs> well okay Out of the people on this podcast, which one of us has taken a (laughs) dialects class? Because it isn't me. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) Whether or not you retained it, I feel like... My point is that the Dutch is not a particularly identifiable accent, I think.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's very identifiable. I would say it very easily can be construed into a couple other... Uh, dialects most specifically German German. is the one it sounds most like (laughs) it's
0: just German Um, but yeah they do identify the Dutch businessman uh, who shows (laughs) up in their car like in the boys in the boys train car you know they make pleasantries and uh, (laughs) you know he's a little weird but you know Europeans are weird to Americans Uh, yeah and he to Americans everything is weird yeah everything that honestly yeah it's we're so backwards ass weird in this country um, but what I didn't realize until this time that I watched it is that conversation they actually have with the I, I Overall, I noticed a lot more foreshadowing this time around watching mm-hmm. the movie than I did previously. Um, yeah, it takes a couple times. Like the torture museum. Of course, there's a torture museum. That's what Europe Which is real. <laughs>
1: yeah, oh yeah. There was a there was a real torture museum in the town they were filming in.
0: That's so cool. I love that. I mean, I would go in it in a fucking second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what I didn't know before is they had this conversation with the Dutch businessman who, because he starts eating a chicken Caesar salad in a weird way. And Mm -hmm. uh, they're like, what's your fucking angle? And apropos of pretty much nothing, the guy starts talking about how he he sees that anything that dies for something else, you have a connection with. So the chicken or the meat that he's eating, he feels a special connection to because its purpose was to die for him, for his consumption. Mm -hmm. Um, And that having those connections is human nature which I think is interesting because not only is it food but also the same thing with the actual victims of this elite hunting club uh mm-hmm. having the connection to them as opposed to them just being random uh people that are abducted so in this dutch businessman's case he likes to know to, to get to know his victim before he kills them because having that connection mm-hmm. is something that he weirdly appreciates
1: oh yeah this man absolutely hand picks the people he wants to kill.
0: And I don't know good moral question for listeners of Square Horror. Which is scarier? A man who would rather kill indiscriminately randomly and doesn't care who you are, or someone that very specifically wants to get to know you before they destroy you? I think the latter is worse. I also think so. Because Pax pretty much the bugs bunnies his way out of the former.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh but, I don't know, it does bring up a cool kind of I don't know if it's like a pro meat eating position but it's like anything that is, that is willing to, that you are willing to kill or that you are willing to ingest that has been killed, you should give a shit about what it got, like what it went through to get to where you are which I think mm-hmm. is more where he's coming from where he wants to know why they're in this country what brought them to the circumstances to get abducted and uh, how they're going to be when they're begging for their lives. (laughs) Yeah. So the gang shows up in uh, Slovakia um, and I think that at least for the time in the early part of the millennia when Eastern Europe was still more or less recovering from Soviet control, the desolation Mm -hmm. of Eastern Europe in a non-offensive way uh is just something that we cannot really fathom in America. Like how was that looking at like just those like bombed out factories, like the place where the slaughterhouse is. Yeah, it's just kind of I
1: mean, like I kind of look at it as not depressing, but like it's 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 just hard to think about it and to look at the fact that they're still rebuilding from it decades later. Yeah. And it's created this almost and this is this may sound bad, but it's created almost this underground crime wave around it.
0: No, you hit the nail squarely on the head. That's part of the reason that Eastern Europe is still seen, quote unquote, as a dangerous place, and why organized crime is still big. Is back in the day, you know, these Eastern Bloc countries existed, at least to the Soviet Union's perspective. Their sole point was to just be extra land in the way in case Germany or Europe tries to invade Russia. And because Mm -hmm. of that paranoia, all that this country really did was, like, have a bunch of tank factories and a bunch of weapons lying around just in case they needed to, like, nuke the world. Or, like, if the United (laughs) States invaded Poland, that Poland would be ready to repel an invasion. And as soon as the Soviet Union collapses, that country doesn't have a solid economy. But what it does have is a bunch of leftover weapons that it can immediately... Sell on the black market for a bunch of money, and because money is so Spartan, people will do pretty much anything to feed their families. Especially mm-hmm. working in an elite hunting club where they just drive taxis, are the the booty bait, or are security for this murder society. Mm-hmm. So and as, yeah, they all definitely get is, paid
1: handsomely know, for
0: it. Exactly, like as fictional as that is, it's not too far off from the truth. Especially when you factor in that like the two women that we kind of follow most along with the with, for the movie that are, like, the honeypots and are very obviously the honeypots. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know about you, but, like, if I'm ever just kind of, like, walking around my life and uh, women start talking to me like it's porn, that's a red flag. That's the biggest red flag. Like, I'm never going to assume that I'm just so... I don't know. I'm just so nice for women that they want to pretend like it's porn to get me to go back to somewhere. Mm -hmm. We're like, okay, you walk into a hostel and the first thing you see are two gorgeous, like Eastern European model looking women getting dressed. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, oh, well, we're sorry. It's okay. We're going to the spa. If you guys want to come, that's a red flag. I don't believe in meet cute moments, especially in Europe. That's a red flag to me. <laughs> they are trying to kill me, and I will not go with them.
1: And plus, I wouldn't necessarily call that a meet-cute moment. That is a <laughs> No, that, you're right. Because, like, that's more of a, like, meet-hey-let's-do-this-already moment, which is the moments that definitely don't really happen.
0: Yeah, like, for viewers that may have watched Teen Titans, the series, when they were children, these women are like the Terra of the elite hunting club, where their sole purpose is to just infiltrate groups of men that are likely to be murdered, to get them to go to places where they can be abducted and then murdered, and then they get paid a Mm -hmm. bunch of money. Yeah. I
1: also love that Eli Roth made the distinctive choice... To have um, these two honeypots wear less and less makeup as the movie goes on. I did think that was so really you, cool. Because he uh, he equated it to you seeing more of the ugliness within them as the movie goes on. Right. As the like facade they put on disappears. Which I just think is such a brilliant creative choice
0: and you know this whole thing this whole honeypot thing and the, all the circumstances it's such a european folktale like it's like that collective unconsciousness of like the base level of in europe you're just more primed to pick up on this and more stuff is primed to go down the same pathways that a lot of folk tales have gone for like a thousand years um mm-hmm. so like well, the first time I watched it, it felt like that scene at the end when Pax is, goes in and asks the women to bring him to where the guys are. I assumed mm-hmm. that they had just spent all their money on drugs, and that's why they kind of looked yeah. more like that. Which, to me, was more like, these people are just as much victims of this society as the, the actual murder victims are, in a way you know mm-hmm. how draining must it be to get paid to bring people to their debts um i mean yeah. that's because like you aren't really experiencing anything more than like you have enough money to survive but like how does mm-hmm. that feel you know like i wonder if there ever was another hostile movie or if they get a 2018 halloween treatment if it wouldn't be from those girls perspectives That would be really
1: interesting, because that brings up a whole different moral question that this movie doesn't get into.
0: Yeah. Hostile 2, without spoiling, brings up different moral questions than this movie does in a way that I think is a lot more cool and twisty, and I would love to hear your thoughts about it later on. Um, Hell yeah. But with pretty much other, like, most other European folk stuff, it was like... It was like creatures or monsters would like use humans hubris or they would just try to trick humans because humans are stupid and they would trick them mm-hmm. but it would be like you said like the once you see through that facade and you just see like what's going on it it becomes a lot less glamorous you aren't caught up in the like whimsy of being american in europe and look at the little cute thatched houses and oh look at this little fun moat and you know you don't get that once you've seen that shit is not right. Like, Pax, mm-hmm. as he goes through the movie, is, like, getting more and more fed up with Europeans just being nice to him. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah. Where are my friends? What is happening? Can you tell me? Like, the scariest part of the movie to me is when he goes and sees those girls in that bar and pretty loudly just asks, like, where are my friends? And then everyone just kind of mm-hmm. goes silence. Because they all know. Yeah. Everyone knows the score. Um, and, yeah, and then they look at him and straight face go, it's a, um, art exhibit for, uh, artists. They, um, uh, art, art is there like in a way that's creepy once you know what's going on. Uh, yeah. but it's such like a, I, I don't know. I, there's no more lines I can give you. <laughs> we're just killing people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and speaking of that, I feel like we should start to get into now that we're getting into the section of the movie where the kills start. Yeah. Um, Because the first kill that we kind of see is the aftermath of Ali.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where it's just his head left. Well, and it's creepy because it sets that precedent of, like, the hunting club has everyone's, like, phones. So, obviously, Mm -hmm. everyone's friends and roommates are calling them, texting them, like, where the fuck are you? And because Mm -hmm. Ali showed up with these guys like they just picked him up in iceland somewhere like they were just in iceland and he came with him and he's just been with them since and mm-hmm. he they just are like well maybe he just fucked off back to iceland and yeah he sends them a picture of his of his face and he's just like i am I'm, I'm home I'm, I'm leaving goodbye but that's horrifying because that's just a picture of his severed head but because it's an old as fuck cell phone you can't like tell that he's dead
1: Yeah, Uh, the age of flip phone cameras.
0: Yeah, it was weird when they were like, man, back in the day when you couldn't just like paranoid track your friends with Life360, you had to be like, man, I hope they're not like dead in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, Real quick before we get into these kills, though, I just want to touch on that bubblegum gang for a second because I can't believe they're real. (laughs) And they do actually matter a lot. (laughs) So in Yeah, they little, come back. Yeah, and kick so much ass. And they kill adults. They are dangerous. Mm-hmm. To, like, these are not, again, American children and European children. Very different. This, they, I mean, the oldest one has maybe, is maybe 10 years old.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: There's a group of maybe like 40 kids. Um, and they just like harass people in alleys at this quaint little town that the boys are staying at. And they demand bubble gum. That is the total mm-hmm. bubblegum. You better fucking have bubblegum or they'll wreck your fucking bullshit. They'll they will stuff destroy
1: you. you. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, and, yeah, like we said, they were real street kids that were just given money or presumably candy to just do exactly what they were doing.
1: <laughs> yep. Just on camera.
0: Uh, yeah. But, I mean, that kind of speaks to, I I think, at least setting the tone of, like, as nice as people in Europe are. There's also people that do not care who you are at all. Like, they don't give a shit if you're on vacation, that you're American. They don't fucking give a shit. And Mm -hmm. what we learned from the hunting club, it's almost like you want to kill Americans. Because, I mean, we're always the worst. So, like, obviously. They cost a pretty penny. Yeah, yeah. And wanting to kill Americans specifically, I feel like, for these people, is so much more like enriching because all they're doing mm-hmm. is being like, what's going on? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. They're just doing all this bullshit. When anyone else mm-hmm. is probably like, all right, how do I escape? What is my way out? How do I, how do I, uh, solid snake my way out of this place?
1: Well, and i I think I thought of this while I was watching the movie this time, because I had never thought of it before, but it's also got to be so nice. This Okay, so put yourself in the mind of one of the people who's paying for this.
0: Okay, I'm already there, unfortunately.
1: Um, so if you're from Europe somewhere, presumably, uh, and if you don't speak English, I guarantee you that if you're paying for an American, they don't speak your language. Exactly. So it's not like they can talk to you about it. Right. They can't, like, talk their way out of it. Well, and that's... Even if they wanted to, and most Americans wouldn't even think of that.
0: Exactly. And that specific thing is put to the test when... Because we learn early on that Pax speaks German. So Mm -hmm. when he is abducted, when he he asks Natalia to bring him there, and she does the equivalent of, like, just stand a little bit further to the right. You want to stand right on that X on that trap door? Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) Great. Awesome. Stay right there. I'll be right back. Like, she... Just feeds him to these people. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> but uh, once he is finally uh, captured and he sees, and we as the audience see what the fuck is actually going on here, where it's all these international rich people showing up to, to pay to basically do whatever they want to these uh, these backpackers, essentially. Um hmm which includes probably some of the worst tortures you can imagine, like slicing open Achilles tendons, blow-torching eyes. Uh, I, I had to say it, to Annie, because we need to warn them. I know them. you did. <laughs> we need to I warn still, them that it's happening. I can still see it. I know. I haven't
1: watched that scene since the first time I saw it, which was probably, God, five or six years ago.
0: I did the same thing where I was like, I know it's going to happen. And, like, before that, he gets drilled in the leg, almost just says, like, a, hey, how are you? Like, that was just more of a, like, you know? Like, uh, but, I mean, I I knew that it was coming, and I'm still like, oh, fuck. So, like, look away when uh, Josh is uh, unhandcuffed. When Josh is in the chair. Yeah, when he is unhandcuffed and uh, the Dutch businessman tells him that he's free to go, look away. Yeah, he opens the door. Oh, what an asshole. (laughs) I mean, I I get it because, again, Josh kind of sucks. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, like, good God, that's it, it just is rough. brutal. It is really, really brutal. Um, but, um, you know, so we're, we're seeing all of these people. But when Pax is in there, Pax isn't just begging for his life. The guy that's there paying to kill him is a little bit more – he looks – he honestly seems a little bit more fussy. He seems like maybe this isn't his... This may be his first time, or if it's not his first time, it's probably the first time he's had, like, an American before. Um, yeah. And Pax surprises him, because the guy only speaks German, and Pax speaks German, so I-, I don't speak German. And they didn't have subtitles, but I would assume he did a pretty good job of begging for his life in German. Well, yeah, because he, then the
1: guy who, who's, like trying to torture him calls in and orders a ball gag for him
0: (laughs) okay so (laughs) real quick that big scary dude who's the security guard uh Uh that's like working security for this whole thing there's a moment it's, it's right after uh the guy comes back in for the ball gag um because again paxton bugs bunnies his way out by uh and I literally—it's a Looney Tunes death by chainsaw—the way he, the, this German guy dies. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a little hilarious. But um, we kind—you know—you pan over to the to the, the security guard, and he's watching porn, you know, outside. Apparently, mm. the porn film is a uh, Sex Fever, which is a porn parody of Cabin Fever, which is Eli Roth's other movie. But, you know, You're kidding. I, no, I'm dead serious. But now having seen Cabin Fever, doesn't Cabin Fever already seem like a porn parody of some other horror movie? It does. <laughs> so, like, how that's just <laughs> too funny. Oh my god. <laughs> like how much, like I really want to see it now because I kind of want to see how much they kept from the movie. Because part of me also thinks that Eli Roth like helped finance it under the table at least.
1: he low-key produced it
0: yeah 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 like uncredited like don't tell anybody but like i love this project (laughs) can i be in it or whatever that sort of thing (laughs) that's too funny uh do you want to talk a little bit more about the torture or do we want to get to my favorite scene in the movie (laughs) let's go ahead and get
1: to your favorite scene because the other torture part I want to talk about will come up a little bit later with um what was her name Yuki
0: yes so uh
1: Yuki or yeah I think it was Yuki
0: cause, cause it was two sisters I believe that went that went missing yeah it was Yuki and Kana I wanna Kara, say Kara I think is her name cause I think of I'm thinking okay. of Kara more cause I think she's the one that uh that back- packs rescues right
1: huh yeah, that Pax rescues. He
0: rescues Kara,
1: right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah, cuz Yuki
0: is the one she was looking for. Yes, cuz she went missing the same night as Ollie, and both of them yes. received a well, cuz Kara received a, a message from her sister of her and Ollie outside of the factory just being like, "Oh yeah, we're uh, you know, we're over here. We're we're somewhere else." Um mm-hmm. But um. One of my favorite scenes in the movie, and it's 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 such a such an Eli Roth scene because it's right after Pax's escape. He's he's lost two of his fingers, uh, in a chainsaw debacle. Um, he's uh, he's found a way out of the torture chamber. He's trying to figure out what's going on, how to get out. He's dodging the security that's going on. Um, he he finds a locker room, uh, and he starts. Mm-hmm. You know, he's putting on uh, a suit because all the All of the clients, when they come in, uh, they end up wearing, um, like, industrial butcher's uniforms. They've got, like, these metal masks on. They've got big, long aprons, gloves, the whole thing, just to make sure that they can dispose of the bloody clothing after the fact. And Mm -hmm. as he's changing, he he runs into this guy who's, like, clearly on cocaine or something. (laughs) Oh, cause, yeah. Because he's, or maybe he's just very, very excited. Because it's clearly this businessman's, like, first time ever being part of the Elite Hunting Club. Uh, it's his first big murder, and he's really excited for it. And uh, mm-hmm. he's asking Pax, like, all of these questions, assuming that Pax is another one of these guys. So he's asking, like, you know, like, how'd you do it? You know, like, what, what would, you ha- would it happen? And Pax is, like, in shock still. Uh, but, it, yeah. but it reads because the guy's like, oh, man, you, you must have, like, really killed the person or whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know. And uh, in a line that I was so glad that Ice Nine Kills used in Worst Vacation, he's like, I don't know, like, what, what should I do? You know, should I, uh, you know, I'm thinking I got this gun, but um, I don't know, man. Like, I'm thinking, should I make it quick or should I, you know, should I make it bigger? And Paxton's like, you should make it quick. <laughs> you should You yeah. should do it. <laughs> And the later's like, nah, fuck that, man. Gun's too American. What does he choose instead, Danny? He
1: instead uses... Uh, he uses a blowtorch, right? Yeah, yeah, he uses a fucking blowtorch.
0: Which is just... Oh, my
1: God.
0: Yeah. Kara is, unluckily enough, his uh, pound of flesh, and uh, he... Mm-hmm blowtorches a good third of her face including her right eye and in one of the other grossest scenes that was less gross for me because I just imagined it as like a makeup effect because it clearly was Um, it was do we even want to talk about this? do we even want to describe it? I
1: actually actually do want to talk about it a little bit because um, when the actress first saw the prosthetic makeup on her face she was in tears looking at herself in the mirror and she just turned to the person who put the makeup on and went i understand why she does what she does at the end of the movie now i couldn't live like
0: this i just got chills holy shit like that's brutal (laughs) god because that's that's what happens in the movie too she the first time she gets a look at her no eye she fucking jumps mm-hmm. in front of a train. Yeah. And oh my god, that's so scary to think about that the it's, woman just went. It's I get terrifying. it. It's terrifying. Uh Ugh. I don't know if our listeners know about um the anatomy of the eye uh but um it's not necessarily like a like a solid thing. It's more like a little water balloon. So um oh god when it's not <laughs> a water balloon you know it kind of just you know when you throw a water balloon at your brother or your sister and like if it's a big fucker water balloon most of the balloon is kind of still intact and it's just kind of like on the person Oh god Matt what are you ta- what are you where is this going I'm just saying that that's eyeballs become that when you put blow torches to them <laughs> Which is why Kara decides she's going to jump in front of a train. (laughs) Not that it's funny, but like, I don't know. Again, Hostel is gross and gory, and I need everyone to know that going in, like, there's a couple scenes that are gross. And I'm going to tell you them up front so that you are expecting them, because I didn't expect them when I watched it for the first time.
1: That's, that's a fair point. I'll, you know what? I'll allow it.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I am sorry. Um, but speaking of the train and uh, Paxton, that implies that they probably are getting close to getting away, right? Yeah. So what happens to uh, our man, Pax, here?
1: So I think it's leading up to this moment is our first little bit of retribution for Pax before they get to the train station. While he's driving away with um, Kara, they see the
0: two honeypots. Yeah, and the weird dude from the hostel they met that told them to go to Slovakia in the first place.
1: That's right, yeah. And so they're in a car, or he, Pax is in a car, and they are just happen to be in the path of the car. And so Pax decides to run them over at as much speed as he can get.
0: Yeah, hell yeah, fuck. Which honestly,
1: I respect. I would, I think I would at that point too.
0: I know you guys are victims of circumstance, but fuck you, vehicular manslaughter. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's not thinking of them as victims of circumstance. He's thinking of them as the people who put him and his friends in that position. I mean, he's a little biased. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) He's a little biased. I mean, I would be too. We've been over this yeah, before. Exactly. Sure. We've been over this before. I think on like our third episode. But like, if you were murdered, I'd be fucking devastated, and I obviously would take the vehicular manslaughter to a T degree.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I get it.
1: <laughs> um, but then once we get, once Pax gets onto the train now without Kara because she has died, um, he hears a very familiar story further down the train car. And yeah. he hears, whomst
0: could that be, Matt? Well, um, apparently because Pax knows German and I guess has an ear for accents, he identifies it correctly as the Dutch businessman who is, going, who is taking the train from the slaughterhouse back to the airport to go back to his weird little job, probably making wooden shoes somewhere. I don't know the Netherlands. But <laughs> Pax isn't going to... That is not me being racist to Europe. I'm just saying this movie didn't do itself (laughs) any favors. (laughs) Uh, I love Europe. It's a great place. Everyone there is amazing for the most part. Uh, But Pax, because he's on the revenge trip, uh, he's not going to take that lying down. He's not going to let this Dutch fuck get back to do it again next year. So he's mm-hmm. going because to... he
1: saw that this man is the one who killed Josh.
0: Yes, because when he was uh being led into the slaughterhouse, he saw this the man because he'd always wanted to be a surgeon uh just mm-hmm. doing weird dumb dissections to Josh's body. Yeah. So he can he can, ass- he can assume with reasonable suspicion that he probably killed Josh and maybe even Ollie as well. Not that Ollie mm-hmm. was all that important to him. It was more like my friend Josh got murdered and you were clearly playing with his guts. I'm going to make yeah. sure that you die horribly. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is one of the and better he... retribution deaths I've seen in a horror movie, though. <laughs> I
1: also kind of love that it takes place in a bathroom.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, like,
1: there's something humiliating about dying in a public toilet.
0: Yeah, like, with your face in a toilet and then you're getting your throat cut. Like, your pants are down. Like, you're just... A mess.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not feeling great no. before you die.
0: I mean, maybe he did. Maybe he wanted to wait until he was done. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're totally right. What? That's that's smart.
0: Yeah, because I mean, your guards down. Brutality. You know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, oh, you meant like with the the putting your face in all the shit you just made. I didn't even think about that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an extra level of brutality to start to smother someone in a toilet that they had just used.
0: I figured the extra layer of brutality was the first thing that he did was cut off the man's two fingers because he's like, fuck you, that's what it feels like
1: yeah i mean that's true too there's a lot of levels of brutality to this final retribution there death. is
0: and you know what i very much support it because paxton uh earns that kill and i feel like in a roundabout sort of way he learns what the dutch guy meant by having the connection with something that died for you mm-hmm. like not okay. killing is wrong we know killing is wrong Murder is bad. You shouldn't hurt people. You should be nice to people. We know. Correct. However, if someone (laughs) were to kill somebody in this manner, I feel like it would be a lot more cathartic to have that personal connection because it's not just some asshole at the elite hunting club. This is a guy that lured them for all intents and purposes to the hunting club, killed his best friend, and then was not shy about wanting to do it again some other time.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: You know what I mean? Like, it, it's less about killing the guy because he's the bad guy. It's more like killing the man because, it, like, it's your duty at that point to do it, to put a stop to him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's taking that revenge for your friend who no longer can take it for themselves.
0: Yeah, man. It's like what they kind of they kind of do in most like Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but they don't really get just cuz the the slasher itself is more of the character and because they, the way they did Hostel, the murderers are <laughs> not slashers, the murderers are like it's kind of like in The Purge where like all the people in the masks are bad, but they're more just like fixtures of a system that like lets them all be bad. Yeah. The system, man. Fuck. It's a system, man. So I guess that's what we're going to end it on. If you have any final notes about it. Uh,
1: I mean, it's not a movie for everyone. and I, yeah, we I know we will say. both be the first to admit that because of the graphic nature of some of the scenes in this movie in particular. Yeah. It, it However,
0: is pretty graphically sexual as well. And I know that turns yes. some people off, so, like, yeah, you're right. It is definitely not for everybody, but there definitely is a reason that it exists.
1: Yes, and there is a reason that it was successful as well, and that it has a whole two sequels behind it. Right.
0: Yeah, um, I, yeah I mean, when you talk about franchises, I mean, they almost never come out of something that was bad.
1: Yeah. Um. So... I guess that is to say, if you can look past a lot of the things we have brought up in this episode, (laughs) which we brought up for the reason that they will not bother you, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) then this movie would be worth the watch. Um, It is currently streaming as of this recording. It is streaming on Stars if you happen to have that account Mm -hmm. amidst all of the streaming services there
0: are these days. Also, if any of the viewers kind of dig the idea. Of this, uh, of this movie, um, but maybe aren't all, again, down with the gore and the sex and, and, and the, the story. Hostel 3 is currently streaming on Netflix. Hostel 3 doesn't really have much to do with the first two movies whatsoever. Um, it actually takes place in Las Vegas um, and is uh, a lot less... Um, Intense. It's a lot less of a grindhouse movie. It's a lot more of a straightforward action movie. It feels a lot more like a purge movie, um, mixed with like uh the hangover. Interesting. Uh so so at the very least that'd be able to get you a taste of what the franchise of what the franchise is like, what the first movie is like. Um mm-hmm. and if you think if you could think you can handle that, by all means check out Hostile and definitely check out Hostel 2, because Hostel 2 fucking rules.
1: I'll have to take your, I'll have to take your word for it until yeah. I finally get around to watching it myself.
0: Yeah, let me know when you do. I'm going to probably watch it this week too.
1: Hell yeah. All well, right. and the other thing we have to watch this week is as we gear up for our last movie we're talking about in our Growing Up as a Pain series.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What are we what are we covering, Danny?
1: Our final movie in this is something that was huge for the horror genre in the 1990s. It is the, I would say, the first, like, primo found footage movie that was ever made, The Blair Witch Project.
0: Yes, The Blair Witch Project is going to cap off our grad school section of Growing Up as a Pain, because after grad school, there's no more Growing Up to do. Nope, not a single bit you are full grown no no more learning we're not going to continue this until old age because we'll be here for a year so let us do something else please
1: (laughs) but yeah we have a we have some fun things lined up down the road for after we finish our growing up as a pain series next week so you can look forward to some of those things
0: yeah another guest episode will be able to get us into our new series which some of the movies on there, Danny, I know I haven't seen before, so I'm very excited to cover it.
1: I'm very excited for this series.
0: Oh, me too, man. Especially because I know at least one of the bonus episodes is going to be on a new movie that I am just as excited to see, um, <laughs> because it looks so wild. <laughs> Dude,
1: it looks crazy, and it's going to be so interesting.
0: Yeah, man. I can't wait to talk about it. Um, follow our Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. You can reach us at squarehorrorpodcast at gmail.com. And if you go to Europe, I mean, check out the main... Go to all the tourist places. You gotta. I mean, you don't see it every day. Um, Yeah. Backpack across Europe, even. It's great. You're going to meet a lot of great people. Most people in Europe are super nice. And the longer you spend in Europe, the more you're like, fuck, why am I going to go back to the United States? But just... (laughs) Look for the red flags. If things start to sound... Yeah, keep your eyes out. If things start to look or sound like the beginning of a porn, it's not. It's bad. Run away. You're you're a victim. Someone's paid to murder you. So leave. (laughs) And uh, I would recommend checking out Ireland. No murders there that I know of (laughs) except the long centuries history of murder. Uh, You know, how about you just... Just be careful out there, you know? <laughs> just, just be <laughs> careful, you know? <laughs> and
1: until next time, you stay spooky out there. <laughs>